Welcome to The Watershed, a podcast that explores relationships between people and water through shared storytelling. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit and community engagement program that engages with water through multiple ways of knowing, scientific and social, political and historical, intellectual and spiritual. The Watershed is a place where everyone is welcome because we are all connected by water. Thank you for joining us. In honor of the stories shared during our 2020 to 2021 tour, and in anticipation of new journeys to come, The Watershed is presenting a series of six episodes drawing upon generous storytellers from Morris, Mankato, St. Paul, Rochester, Chisholm, and Pipestone, Minnesota. In our last episode, we deepened into the many different meanings that water can have for us and how those meanings can be handed down from generations before us or through practices in which we engage with water. Today, we ask what it means to honor water. Our storytellers share ways that we can give back to the waters that nourish, sustain, and inspire us. We begin with Nevada Little Wolf from Virginia, Minnesota, who shares her thoughts on the responsibilities we have of taking care of water and how water can take care of people. My name is Nevada Little Wolf, and I have lived most of my life on the Iron Range in Virginia, Minnesota, and I'm a member of the Leech Lake Nation. My name is Nevada, and it's a Spanish word, right? And what it means is like the snow or snowy. And I just had a Spanish speaker tell me, no, your name doesn't mean snow, Nevada. And I'm like, no, I know it doesn't mean snow. It means like, and then she said, it means the action of snow. Like that's what Nevada means. And I was like, that is probably the best way that it's ever been described to me. I have always identified myself as a water creature. You know, I think it's partly as being Anishinaabe an Ojibwe woman is, you know, we are responsible for the things around us and we have to be protectors of those things. And one of the things that culturally we value highly is, is water. And I also, because I was born in July, I'm like a summer baby. My zodiac sign is cancer so like that is also connected to water i've always just felt this very big responsibility to water but also gratitude for it as well i feel like it's just something that has helped me and it does help me so if i'm having a hard time i know i go to water that's that's gonna help me sometimes it's me like putting my tobacco my sema um, down by the water and sitting and listening to the water I like the way that the water sounds, whether it's being loud or whether it's being quiet. I just feel like that listening to it helps me think through things and process things. You know, there's other times where I just like need to be inside the water. Like I like maybe physically don't feel good, but if I go inside the water, it makes me feel better. And I just think there's a lot of healing properties and connections between us and water. Nevada shows us how one way of honoring water is through developing intimacy with it. Nevada feels a strong personal connection with water through different parts of her identity, like her name, her heritage, and her zodiac sign. She deepens into that connection by spending quiet time listening to the water. 
That intentional time being with water can be a simple yet powerful way of showing our respect for it. We can honor water not only by connecting with water itself, but also by connecting with the other creatures that rely on it. Blaine Hill from Morris shares one such story, recalling the time he learned that ducklings nest within the city limits of Morris. My name is Blaine Hill. I'm the city manager for the city of Morris, Minnesota, and I actually grew up here. There were no trees here when people came and founded Morris. It was prairie, and and so then rivers and streams and 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 those areas are very important to the the natural aspect of this. So one of the things I would share with you that's really interesting, I had a discussion with a person yesterday. It's kind of right on the city end of this. There's an apartment complex and behind it is a guy that owns a house and he owns a great big huge open lot. I mean, it's probably two blocks square, open lot. And uh, the neighbors are complaining because the grass is high and everything and they didn't like it. And, and techni- technically, if you look at our ordinance, once your grass gets above six inches, you're supposed to cut it. And, you know, and it's like, well, you should be mowing that, you know. And then the guy came in to talk to me and he said, well, I don't like to mow it in the springtime because right now there's eight duck nests in that one area. And I said, what? I said, there's ducks nesting right in, yeah. He goes, there's eight of them. He goes, actually, I've flagged the nest sites. So him and his wife will go through and they'll watch, you know, and then they will actually mark the nest sites. And so one of the neighbors was complaining about it. I told him about it and he couldn't believe it. And so he goes, well, I'm gonna go talk to that guy. And I said, you should take your kids and then have them go show you wear these nest sites out, then they'll understand why he doesn't want to mow until they, all the ducklings are gone. You know, and at first, you know, I was like, yeah, let's just get rid of it. And then it's like, no, we need to change our rules because we do have some of these wide open spaces. But I will tell you as a kid and as a city manager, I know and understand every single year there are ducks that nest in town. And then it's like a right a passage that everybody watches these ducks that are trying to cross the road because they're trying to get to Lake Crystal with their little ones. And so then every year, and just the other night, I saw a duckling trying to cross the road. So it must have got left behind or the mom was probably hiding in the weeds waiting for it or whatever. But sometimes we don't understand that we have wildlife living with, with us right now. And, and uh, it's all because of the, the lake and the river and all those things that are here. When Blaine learned that a resident wasn't mowing his lawn because of duck nests, he realized that maybe the city needed to change some rules to recognize and protect the wildlife that lives there. The ducks were living there because of Lake Crystal, and it became a tradition of sorts to watch the duck families cross the road to get to the lake. For Blaine and Amoris residents, honoring the water meant also honoring its aquatic life. Much of that life we don't always see, but it's always there. In addition to the creatures that surround us now, we can also consider those who depended on that water in the past. Autumn Cavender Wilson, who we heard from once before this season, describes the Minnesota River Valley pre-conquest and now, and asks us to consider, what do we owe the landscape itself? 
My name is, in English, is Autumn Cavender Wilson in Dakota. My name is Wichangfi Iotawi. I'm Mokhbetu in Dakota from Pejuta Zizik Apimokoche, the land where they dig for the yellow medicine, which is a place really near to, well, on the Minnesota River at the junction of the um, Minnesota and um, Yellow Medicine Rivers here in southwestern Minnesota. I'm a wife, I'm a mother, and um, I'm a midwife. We've lived out here for a while, but we this is the first summer, actually, we bought kayaks for ourselves. So we've been out on the river almost every other day for the last two weeks. One of the things that I'm reminded of is, you know, these stories that one used to be able to paddle from from here, from, you know, from this area by, by Granite Falls, what is currently the Upper Sioux Reservation, all the way down to Mankato without ever touching a major river. So intact was the wetland system. So intact was like the, the small rivers and tributaries and, and waters on the plains and how much we don't have that anymore. And how very, very different the ecology of this whole place looks from the surface of the water. For more than 160 years, streams in Minnesota have been modified, created, and rerouted to accommodate desires of human development and entrepreneurship. In Minnesota, fully half of all streams, that's about 41,000 miles, have been altered in some way by humans. A natural stream is usually curvy. Because of the long and winding path it takes, it holds a lot of water. The water moves through riffles, runs, and pools, creating diverse habitats for insects and fish. An altered stream, however, is often straight, so it holds less water. The water moves quickly and swells more dramatically during rain. Fewer trees and shrubs can grow on the banks because the fast-moving water erodes those banks. Even you know, doing hikes and walking around um, and even driving through the really river valleys, so frequently we are on top looking down. And how wonderfully, beautifully small one feels on the river, surrounded by these incredible bluffs and these amazing cottonwood trees reaching and rattling. Just the wealth and abundance of this river system in particular. There's very old accounts from the 18th century, you know, the very first missionaries and fur traders paddling up the river and then being shocked and in many ways, like very much awed by the sheer abundance of this river system, literally food just dripping into the water, you know, the weight of berries on the trees just causing them to pour over. And that as beautiful and as abundant and as life-filled as we see the river now from its surface paddling along, it is only a fraction of the life and beauty that once existed there prior to conquest. And what does that leave us with then in terms of responsibility of restoration? What does that leave us with in terms of our need for accountability, not just to Native folks and you know the Indigenous peoples of this particular space, but also accountability to place, to that ecology? What do we owe to make up for the damage that's that's been that's been wreaked upon this place? And really, you know, we gotta dream bigger. Kayaking and hiking within the Minnesota River Valley, Autumn notices the history of how humans have altered the landscape, considering the weight of our past actions upon our waters and the actions of repair that we owe. It takes courage to face the truth and extent of what we've lost, 
and even more courage to sacrifice the time and energy to try and restore what has been taken from the land and the people that originally came from this place. There are many ways we can work to mend and repair our relationships with water. One important way is through the rules that we make by legislative action. Jeff Brand from Mankato remembers when Minnesota passed the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Amendment, despite that Minnesota was in its greatest economic recession in Minnesota's history. My name is Jeff Brand. I am a representative at the Minnesota Legislature in District 19A. And so that encompasses all of Nicollet County, about 10% of Mankato and Blue Earth County, and then about that much in Lesore County as well. I was uh, born and raised here in Minnesota. My parents used to drag me kicking and screaming up north to Lake Superior and uh, up the Gunflint Trail to Lake Saginaga and things like that. And as a kid, gosh, being in a boat was kind of boring. But now I look back on it, and those are fond memories of being out in the in the woods and enjoying water. And so for me, water's always been kind of a part of my background and just always been there. As I grow older, I obviously appreciate the, the subject matter more. And of course, being in the legislature now, I, you know, I'm on the subcommittee for, for water in Minnesota here. So I take water and water quality very seriously. Being next to the lake is really, um, it's enchanting to just watch the waves, to watch the lake, to watch the movement of that water and to be part of something bigger than yourself, um, I think is really kind of an important thing. That's why people look up at the sky at night to see the stars and see all the different things that are, that are amazing and wonderful in the night sky. And in, in Minnesota, no matter where you come from, we have an opportunity to enjoy what we have in our natural landscape. You know, in 2008, despite the fact that we were at time the greatest economic recession in Minnesota's history. We passed an additional sales tax for um, land, water, arts, and culture, and also the legacy of Minnesota. That's a Minnesota value. We put our money where our mouth was at the most difficult economic time in order to protect and preserve what we hold dearly in our environment. Water is an essential part of that. Um, if you're in a resort community or if you are growing uh, crops in a farm, if you live in a community or if you live in the big city and want to go out into the natural landscape some of the time, I would really love to see the legacy for Minnesota going forward, myself being a part of that, is to find a way that we can actually move forward on our water quality in Minnesota um, so that. I can look back someday and, and think back to Jeff when he was 10 or 12 and really hated to go up north, but once he was there, really enjoyed it because the lake was bigger than him and it was just a big, a small part of that big, big waterway. Jeff's connection with water began with his experiences being outdoors around water as a child. That initial fondness grew into a professional commitment as a member of Minnesota's Subcommittee on Water Policy with the support of many other Minnesotans, all with their own connections to water, Jeff helps pass an amendment that works to protect the drinking water sources and restore water bodies for Minnesotans of the future from all types of communities. By honoring our waters, we are also honoring the future generations who will be using that water. Minnesota has a special geographic position sitting atop a triple continental scale divide that leads water into Canada and the Hudson Bay, the Great Lakes and the Atlantic, and the Gulf of Mexico. No water flows in 
it all flows out. That means that we have a responsibility to keep our water clean, not only for our communities, but for other states and nations as well. The stories we heard from today are all examples of how we can uphold that responsibility. As you move forward in your days and weeks, ask yourself, how can you honor the water? I'm your host, Megan Reich, signing off. If you enjoyed The Watershed and would like to support our work, please consider sharing this podcast and leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Special thanks to Leah Lim, Chambury Lee, and Aaron Dorbin who conducted the interviews in this series. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit about water and people. We Are Water Minnesota is led by the Minnesota Humanities Center in partnership with the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, the Minnesota Historical Society, the Minnesota Departments of Agriculture, Health, and Natural Resources, and University of Minnesota Extension. We Are Water Minnesota receives support from the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Amendment and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The Watershed is hosted by Megan Reich, a Minnesota Green Corps member serving with We Are Water Minnesota. You can visit us January 20 through February 28, 2022 at the Minnesota State Capitol in St. Paul, where we are showcasing the history and successes of the program. You can follow We Are Water Minnesota on Facebook and Twitter at WeAreWaterMN. Thank you.